1: So friends, there are some biblical passages that you just have to read again and again. The patterns are hard to untangle. The message is shrouded in poetry and mystery. Today's reading is not one of those passages. In this first chapter of the first gospel ever written, Mark leaves nothing to chance, nothing to interpretation. Scene one. Jesus shows up in the home of the brothers Simon and Andrew, his first disciples. Their mother is in bed with a fever. Jesus heals her with a touch. She rises well and whole and goes about serving their needs. Scene two. Early the next morning, while it's still dark and the others slumber, Jesus slips out to a deserted place to pray. His disciples come to interrupt him. The crowds, the crowds, they're looking for you. Rather than stay put and take the rest and the peace that he had surely earned, Jesus turns to them. All right, let's go. In fact, let's go to new towns and proclaim the good news with them too. This is what I came to do. Scene three. A leper comes begging to be made clean and whole. Jesus' heart breaks. Mark says he's moved with pity. And he reaches out to touch the leper. That touch changes everything. Jesus tells the healed man to, to keep quiet now. Just go to the temple, make your thank offering. Instead, the leper becomes an evangelist. Telling anybody and everybody what Jesus has done for him. Urging others to come and see, and maybe they'll be healed too. Three scenes. One point. In this first chapter of the first gospel ever written, it's like Mark is hammering away at it. It's like he's saying to us, all of you disciples, You will want to be special now that you're with Jesus. You'll want to be healed and beloved and chosen, and you are. But that's not why Jesus came. He came so that those he served might become servants. He came to heal us so we would become healers. He came to bless and then to unleash us as a force for blessing. That's what he came to do. This is the truth that Jesus lived and died to make known. On the other side of this Lenten season, we will see him on a cross. Jesus, the perfect face of God in our midst, he will surrender his own life as if to remind us once and for all that love is truly love, Blessing is truly blessing. Life is only life if you give it away. Now, why was Jesus so obsessed with this point? Why is this the reason that he came? I believe he was and still is trying to transform something at the depth of the human soul, y'all. Because there is a part of each of us that is afraid. We twist in the grip of an existential terror that we are undefended, vulnerable, and maybe even alone in this big world. We fear there will not be enough for us and for those whose lives are entangled with ours. All of which leads to an elemental sin as old as humanity itself. I tried to work this out in my book, The Church Cracked Open. And as I was working it out, I found that I simply had to coin a new phrase to describe the struggle. I call it self-centrism. Can you just try that out with me? Feel free to say the words yourself. Self-centrism. One more time. Wrap your, wrap your mouth around it. Self-centrism. So what is this? Self-centrism. It assumes that I am at the center, and the world rotates around me, or my group, or my nation, or my race, or just my kind. Other people, resources, ideas, narratives, history, they only have meaning or value insofar as they serve the needs of the self at the center. Self-centrism. Now we fall into self centrism as individuals, as family groups, as communities, indeed as nations and races. Anytime one group places itself at the center and then expects the rest of humanity and even the earth to support that group's needs, anytime that pattern develops, you're looking at self centrism. Take colonialism and white supremacy. For instance, what are they, except the centuries-old effort by one group of people, in this case, light-skinned Europeans, to place themselves at the center, and then to exploit, steal, oppress, and even eliminate Asians, Africans, indigenous peoples, and our lands? Colonialism and white supremacy place the conquering group at the center, and then organize everything else to sustain that group and its supremacy. Now, I could go on and on with the examples. Yes, there's white supremacy, but also misogyny, colonialism, but also environmental devastation, domination and oppression in every form. The fact that 1% of Americans hold one third of the wealth, while 90% of Americans hold together less than 30% of the wealth. These are all forms of self-centrism. People want to collect as many marbles as possible before the game ends. And if that means taking marbles from you and you and you and you and you, if that means hoarding blessing for ourselves, well then so be it. That's not the way of Jesus. Not today, not ever. Jesus takes our desperate need to organize the world around self, to make it about me or my family or my race, or my preferences, or my group. He takes our grabby, clenched fists and he peels our fingers open so that he can give us healing, so that he can give us blessing. And then he keeps our palms open so that we can give it away. Now it sounds beautiful I hope. (laughs) I hope it sounds beautiful to us. It sounds holy, certainly. And if I am honest, and there's no reason to step into this pulpit if I'm not going to be honest, to be honest, I chafe and I struggle with this calling. Most of us do. Everybody knows brokenness and deep longing. And so for all of us, there is this temptation to turn in on ourselves to take care of our own, to hold our traditions close and not let anybody touch anything, to take the blessing, to take the healing and protect it for all we're worth. I know that need. But I also know that the best moments of my life in God's church have come when I saw or received blessing and then gave it away. As I mentioned earlier, I started my ordained ministry as a church planter, a church starter, based at the cathedral in Boston. Now, we knew that the Episcopal Church had done plenty to serve the needs of the center, to protect empire and establishment. But at the crossing, the name of our scrappy little church within a church, we were dedicated We were dedicated to relationship with the margins, where Jesus preferred to hang out. Now, everybody was welcome at the crossing, but we practiced a very particular, a radical welcome with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered peoples, with homeless peoples, with people of color, with young adults, helping people who had been silenced by the church to find their voices, and to discover their power, their belovedness. For the first four years of our ministry, I, as their preacher, did not preach once. Instead, I used my two master's degrees in the study of religion to prepare others to become preachers. Clergy friends of mine thought I was crazy trusting the laity to preach week in, week out? How could I explain to them the joy of watching people who had been diminished and oppressed by the church now discovering freedom and voice in the house of God? And how could I describe the miracle that happens when those who have been deemed broken experience wholeness, experience healing, and then they become the healers. It was a miracle. I got to tell you, it was a miracle when Penny, a transgender woman cast out of the Lutheran church that baptized her. When Penny preached a glorious sermon about resurrection at the Easter vigil and then invited everybody else to come out of their tombs and to rise to new life. It was a miracle when Aliyah, a black Pentecostal lesbian, rediscovered her love for scripture and for Jesus, and then launched a thriving Bible study ministry and eventually became a spiritual director. It was a miracle when Bill, an older white man, released from jail only to wind up homeless. Bill, who had turned up at church, after church, and then been turned out of them because his record made people uncomfortable. It was nothing short of a miracle when that brother found a home in our midst and then ended up leading the hospitality ministry and then became an anchor in our first intentional community and house church. What a joy to watch someone who had been homeless and turned out paving the way for others to find their homes. It is one thing to see people blessed and healed, forgiven, loved. But it is nothing compared to seeing those very people become the ones who bless, who heal, who forgive, and who proclaim the love of God. All I could do was praise God to witness it all. I did then and I still do. So this is how Jesus sets us free. So this is what he came to do. All of which brings me to a final question this Lenten afternoon. What have you come to do? Maybe you came for a bit of midday peace or for some support, keeping your Lenten disciplines That is more than all right. Maybe you've come with a prayer on your heart, with pain or deep longing for yourself or for someone who is dear to you. Bring it. Bring it to God. Maybe you feel scared for our world. The planet is burning. World War III is, at this moment, a very real possibility. Maybe you feel scared for the church. Mainline churches are shrinking before our eyes as members drift from us to younger, more charismatic or relevant churches, or they just opt out of faith altogether. If you have come here for hope, if you have come here in order to be knit back together again, if you have come to receive blessing or comfort, or just to feel life coursing back through your veins, that's good. That's good. Because God will set us on pathways toward healing with a word, with a touch, with a prayer. Believe that God wants you whole, And just know this, Know that your healing matters. And it's ultimately not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. There is some place that God needs to send you. Someone who is still near the grave. And God will use your hands, your heart, your life to share life with them. And so if you are coming to be healed, get ready. Because you're about to become a healer. And if you have come looking for peace, well, be ready to become a peacemaker. And if you are bound by any force, yes, God will loose the chains on you so that you can go around loosing the chains on others. And if you are looking to be blessed, watch out. You'll be a blessing. This is the pattern. This is what Jesus came to unleash. This is how we could live as if love is truly love, as if blessing is truly blessing, as if life is only life when we give it away. Amen. Amen.
0: The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them. And that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.